Hello and welcome to Project Between, a podcast about third culture kids and their experiences growing up between many cultures. I'm your host, Hannah, and today I'm joined by my sister, Heron, for a very special episode because I think the the episode that we recorded was sort of the launch pad for this entire project. So it's really nice to have you on the show again. Heron. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. And um, for those of you listening, uh, Heron has since moved back to Toronto. And so we are no longer living in the same city. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we're now talking from very, very different time zones. So. Yeah, yeah. And um, the reason why I've asked Heron to join us on the program today is because ever since I started this podcast, a lot of my guests and uh, friends and family that I've spoken to have said that they were very curious about my answers to the TCK questionnaire. And so I was thinking maybe I could do like a YouTube uh, video to do this. But um, yeah, I thought the best way would be to bring somebody on to interview me. And yeah, Heron was the, the perfect uh, person for this job. So thank you for joining us today as the interviewer. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, whether it's in the context of this or you know, any other time. So um, I would take on, it was a an honor to take on this uh, responsibility. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, Heron obviously knows me a lot better than any of my guests, uh, anyone else in my life for that matter. but. I I wonder if your if my responses to some of these questions will surprise you. Uh, probably. I mean, I think like our our timelines have like been similar at to a certain point, and then we diverged from that. So it's always interesting to see like um, how even having a similar background still influences you very differently. Like I find even meeting people who have very different backgrounds from you can have very similar outlooks on life. And so I'm interested to see what you can say. Yeah, uh, like we found out through our Where Were You When episode, which is episode zero, we did grow up in many of the same places, but because of our age difference, our experiences were very different. And so, yeah, shall we begin whenever you're ready? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's begin the questionnaire. Um, well, firstly, uh, if you'd like to formally introduce yourself, what's your name and what's your nationality? So... Hello, my name is Hannah Lee, and I am South Korean. And where were you born? I was born in Seoul, South Korea. Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember our mom always talking about where we were born. Yeah, the specific hospital why. that we were born. Yeah, she liked to point that out. So it's always like strange and interesting to be like, oh yeah, that's specifically the hospital I was born in, and I've known this for like a long time. Yeah. So yeah. Um, well, which countries did you grow up in? Yeah, so I left Korea when I was six, and then I lived in South Africa from age six to 16. So I attended elementary, middle, and a little bit of high school in South Africa. And then I finished up high school in Hong Kong and Seoul before moving to New York for university. And, oh yes, and since graduating from college, I moved back to Korea, and I've been living here since, and it's been, I think, 10 years now since I moved back to Seoul. Yeah, you know, you know, I was actually thinking about how long you were back in Korea, because someone was asking me how long I've been in um, Canada, so it started to contextualize how much time has passed, 
But it's funny you stopped for a second. You stopped at university because that's definitely like a, like a weird landmark where you think, like, oh yeah, I'm still there. Like I, I can, I would definitely do that too. I would pause at college. I'd be like, oh yeah, I finished university and did life continue after that? But um, yeah, but it sure does continue. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you realize like, oh my god, it's been ten years. So yeah, there you go. Oh, time um, flies. I know. So, I mean, in the context of that, and like, what percentage do you think you would I- attribute your identity to each of these places? Mm. So, this is a question that I developed that I've been asking my guests, and it's it's a it's a hard one because I think the percentage has definitely shifted over the years. That said, I think given that I've spent the last ten years living in Korea, I would say currently. Around sixty percent of my identity is Korean, and the remaining forty percent, if I had to divide it up, would be maybe twenty percent South Africa and the rest twenty percent American. I don't know if I lived long enough in Hong Kong to say that living there, I don't know, affected my identity in any way, but it's probably in there because Hong Kong was the first major city that I lived in. Or like a metropolis. Yeah, yeah. I remember we we were little little green sprouts going into this giant metropolis. I know Hong Kong was the first city um, where I took public transportation alone for the first time at the ripe old age of sixteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like going from like the suburbs into this city that's like, like it's incredible. You know, like you see the ocean and then it's immediately skyscrapers. We we were definitely. I think I'm pretty shocked by that. Yeah. Even if we, even if we never explicitly said it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, but that said, I don't know if I, you know, I would attribute that six month period of my life to shaping my identity in any way. But yeah, I would definitely say that the majority of my identity is Korean. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, then, if that's the case, like, what what languages do you speak at home with your like, your parents or your family? So, as you know, when we were growing up, we primarily spoke Korean at home, and I think this was a rule of our parents, and thanks to that rule, I'm able to speak Korean quite fluently now. But yeah, growing up in South Africa, everywhere else, outside of the house, I spoke English, obviously. And with you, I've almost always spoken in English, exclusively in English, I'd say, right? Yeah, I don't think we ever have really had a proper Korean conversation. I mean, you know, you know what's funny is that um, meeting more like Koreans abroad made me realize we were actually in sort of unique situation where our parents forced Korean on us. Uh, I say forced, but it's like more like we they like in they mandated that we speak this we speak like Korean at home. But I found that so many kids, like especially where the parents are first generation immigrants were really fixated on making their kids learn English. And so they actually made them speak English at home, even if they were speaking in Korean to them. And like, um, at the end of it, I'm really thankful because I realized we can speak Korean and we can live in Korea in that context. Um, whereas so many Koreans I've met who, who grew up abroad or still live abroad, like don't like barely speak any Korean. Right. And I think I think there is a slight difference between being an immigrant and being a third culture kid mm. growing up. Yeah, no, 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think I think I thought about that also in high school where they are third culture kids, but even they, they spoke, some of them still spoke English at home because their parents were so afraid they were going to lose their English. Oh, I see. Yeah, and it, it's it's funny. It, it, like, a fear of losing a language is such an interesting one to me because it's like, I think, I think they were, I don't know, maybe giving their kids too much credit that they would like just absorb the one language they're living in and never like try with the other one but you know maybe that's just our point of view Mm. but yeah i think it depends on the person but language is one of those things where if you don't use it it disintegrates pretty fast so yeah it's probably a good thing that our parents sort of enforce that on us no I'm, i'm thankful for it at the end of the day i think we can't like we're we're better off because of it and like you know you can actually read books and and like i don't know just like understand certain things um and like understand the concept of like loan words or something exactly exactly and especially now during a time when korea is having a moment it's nice to be able to watch say films like minari or squid game without subtitles yeah, yeah. Or even, like, enjoy K-pop with that. Exactly. Like, with understanding everything. Exactly. Even, you, you, and, like, ironically, I don't think you or I really listen to K-pop, but, you know. Yeah. At least we understand it, right? Yeah, and just, like, food and other aspects of culture, the fact that you have access to it in a very intimate way because you speak the language, I think, yeah, that's such an invaluable yeah, part of being bilingual and having, you know, the background that we did. Yeah, and then, and I think a moment of growth is acknowledging, like, damn, our parents were right. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> mom, like, mom will be you, very happy to hear you say that. <laughs> just, oh yeah, yeah, no, it, but uh, you know, like, you, that's it's when you you throw in the towel and you go like, you know, that this it was a frustrating, like, adolescence and and a lot of growth needed, but you know, you you admit it when you see it. <laughs> right. Yeah, but so I mean. Like nowadays, since you live in Korea, what what languages would you say you speak? Um, like how many? Like what languages do you operate in? Do you even like dream in different languages? Mm. Uh, so I think living in Korea, I do speak a lot more Korean than I used to, and over time, because you know I go to work and I speak Korean there. I'm writing emails in Korean. I'm now able to read books in Korean uh, fairly well. I'd say it's 50-50, Korean and English, but obviously it really depends on who I've been hanging out during with during the day, because, you know, if I'm on the phone with you, or if I'm texting or talking to friends who, like us, are third culture kids, or I do also have colleagues at work who uh, lived in the US, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm fairly good at switching between the two languages now. Um, and yeah, in terms of dreaming... Um, so I thought about this question and for me, I think it depends on who appears in the dream. So if let's say I met you in my dream, I think for the most part, you'd speak English, but if I met mom or somebody else who might usually speak uh, Korean with, then the dream would be in Korean. So I think it's very contextual. Hmm. Do you never like dream of like random strangers who might speak to you in a different, like whatever language? But where does it default to if there's no face to the the words? Maybe it's more English. I don't know. I don't know. I think it. I think it really depends on where I've been and who I've been interacting with during the day. I think when I was a college student and obsessed with 
French. Yeah. Maybe I sort of willed it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Dreams and French. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it is English for the most part. Hmm. Cool. I mean, um, I mean, I know some people have trouble with like code switching too when they're speaking um, like two languages like all the time, and they'll like try to say something and use like, for example, the wrong preposition or something like that. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Um, I don't think so. But mm, how do I say this? So, for example, let's say at work. There are certain phrases or things that I say in Korean to people to describe things or to describe certain tasks that need to be done. And because I'm so used to saying those things in Korean, if I were suddenly to switch into English, maybe it would take a bit of time for me to translate it in my head. But I don't think I, I don't think my English fails me for the most part. No, I think I think also just. I mean, this is an observation from over the years, but I do think you do have like a pretty good foundation to learn languages and like keep languages. Um, so I think that helps a little bit of your natural talent, <laughs> your natural. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, the frustration I find sometimes is I find that there are really good phrases in Korean that like will perfectly like um, kind of express what I want to feel in a situation in English, and I find that vice versa too, right? And Whenever you translate it, I find that it loses a lot of its like original, I, I, I don't know, like flavor. It like loses flavor as you translate it, and I think that's just the nature of trying to make a translation that's not like it'll never perfectly fit, right? Yeah, and I think especially with food and Korean food in particular, mm. there are a lot of adjectives to describe the flavors and the smells, and yeah, that's good. And yeah. Korean Koreans are so precise. And exactly. I, and so it's so nice to be able to actually like almost pinpoint what you want to say about a food. Yeah. No, I thought about this. You know how like, you know, growing up, mom would, I don't know, make something for dinner. And as she as we each, you know, had a bite of it, she would like describe the food. Oh, like today it's a little spicier than it was yesterday and so on. And so you grow up learning specific words to describe Korean cuisine. But then you realize one day, oh, you have to like describe this to somebody who doesn't speak Korean. And it can be quite difficult because you've never had to describe it to a non-Korean person before. Yeah, yeah. And there's like there's like certain flavors too that aren't really described in English. And so you have to like equate it. You have to like be like, this is like this flavor or, you know, it, I don't know. English can be a little tricky when it comes to trying to describe flavor, I find, yeah. especially outside the context of like Western food. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, like speaking of food, do you, do you have? Do you find that you have any like specific comfort food now? Because you know we've grown up everywhere. Is there anything you have like as a go-to? Mm. So I think for me, my go-to comfort food has to be kimchi jjigae, or or kimchi stew for our <laughs> non-Korean listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kimchi stew or kimchi jjigae. I think for a long time I liked doenjangjigae more, but in terms of the the comfort level, kimchi jjigae for me I think has to be way up there. I think it's just like something that we grew up eating, and even when I was living outside of Korea, that's something that I would make myself on days when I felt like home food. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's so funny. Like I find kimchi at least for me, and I and, and I hear this actually pretty often. Is that as a kid, it's this very polarizing food. Like you, a lot of kids don't like it. It's too strong. It's too spicy. But then somehow we all grow up and and like it. Like it becomes like a source of comfort. It's that and like I find that and like red bean are the two. Oh, like, as a kid, you don't really like it because of the flavor or like the texture, especially. And then you grow up and you're like, wait, this is this is the bomb, right? I mean, is there anything? No, I, I was gonna ask like if what your relation with kimchi was because that was definitely me. I don't think I liked it as a kid, but growing up, it became like yeah, you're right, a source of comfort, right? Yeah, kimchi. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't remember loving it as a kid. It was always on the table, and so yeah, I just associated it with home food. And, and yeah, I, I mean, there are like so many variations on kimchi jjigae. Like you can have pude jjigae, you can have kimchi jjim, which is more of like a, it's less of a stew and more of like a steamed dish, uh, less soup. And I think, yeah, I think I like all of those variations. Yeah, no, I, same. I mean, like kimchi jjim is so good with like tofu and like, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I I would say comfort food for me is also has ended up also being Korean, kind of the same same boat. Yeah, and the thing is, um, when you're when you're a kid and still living at home with your parents, kimchi is something that's just always there. You open the fridge, and the the fridge is packed full with every kind of kimchi imaginable. And then you start living alone and realize that kimchi is you know a really uh, a precious thing. Cause, yeah, yeah. Because you it's either a limited to, limiting resource. Exactly. You you either have to buy it or you have to make it yourself. And it's you know I I never have it abundantly filling my fridge, and so mm-hmm. I really you know savor those times when I'll get a uh, like a care package. Yeah, I get a care package from home or like I get some at like a Tupperware filled with kimchi from one of our aunts. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah it's a feast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very uh, like there's so many uses to it and um, I don't know I think it's also been interesting here to see people using kimchi like recently I saw one of my coworkers buy kimchi fries and it's Ooh. yeah and I was like wow this is uh, you can just buy it around the corner from from the bun mi place of all places is that just fries topped with like stir fried kimchi yeah and um, a little like stir fried kimchi with a little bit of cheese and meat Oh, nice. That sounds good. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's It smells so good, but I was, like, very, very surprised to see it. I was like, well, I wasn't very surprised, but I thought it was funny. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I guess you can go around the corner and get kimchi now. Which, in in some ways, I've, I like, maybe, like, these city centers in North America have picked up kimchi way more than, <laughs> than you'd think. But, yeah. It's just unexpected. Yeah, it, it is unexpected. And, like, I see, like, New York Times uh, articles or like the food section filled with kimchi recipes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other day I saw like a grilled cheese with kimchi. Oh yeah, I've seen that too. I saw it. that too. Yeah. I, it's I, a kind I, of like, yeah, it's like sauerkraut, I guess. Kind of. I, I, you know, it's it's funny because like they, the, the, the need to contextualize food in that way is a little bit funny. Like they say like, oh, it's like, it's like sour, it's Asian sauerkraut. Or they'll say, <laughs> um, another one I saw recently uh, is, uh, like um, there's a Chinese food called uh, zongji. I think that's how you pronounce it. But uh, it's like the the sticky rice wrapped in bamboo leaves, right? Mm, and I love that. And the thing is, anybody South American or like like 
like Latin American will look at it and say, "Wait, that's that's tamales." Like it's it's a, it's a, it's carbs wrapped in a leaf and boiled. Like, yeah. like we know exactly what that is, and um, apparently that's how they usually describe it when they see the Chinese version. They're like, "Oh, it's like Chinese tamales," and then Chinese people will say, "Oh, that's like <laughs> that's like um, Mexican zongji." Yeah, it, it it is funny. It's like you look across cultures and you realize like being able to contextualize it like that is just, I guess, something we do. Yeah, and I find uh, if you come from a culture that has like a, a like a variety of like ingredients that you use to make food, mm-hmm. then you are probably more open to different kinds of food from other cultures because it's familiar. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In that way, I, I don't know. You can also expand your vocabulary on it, and you realize like one, maybe there's no original thought, but also just that the like the mix and match is pretty fun. It's like yeah, kind of what it's makes, really fun. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of what makes it exciting. Yeah, you know? I think fusion food is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, to kind of switch gears here, I was wondering if um, there was like, you know, there's clear influences on like the kind of food you enjoy. But is there also um, has you know your your background, your childhood, your adolescence, your adulthood right now? Like, has that informed any had any influence on your taste in the arts um like your taste in music or or media Mm. so as i asked this question to my guests i thought about it quite often myself and i think i'd have to say that my taste in the arts was influenced by all of the places that i grew up in so for example i grew up in south africa in my childhood and only after leaving did I realize how impressive the, the arts and crafts scene is in South Africa. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and also like any flea market or, um, I don't know, street art that we saw was amazing. And growing up, that was the norm. So I didn't realize how special it is until after I left. And I think all of those vibrant colors did have a huge impact on how I appreciate art. And and I think moving back to Korea uh, as a high schooler and then moving to the U.S. or specifically New York as a college student, I think I took all of that with me. So my sensibilities and uh, my appreciation of the arts, I think all of the influences are, are there. And it has to be there because that's what I grew up on. And so I think... Art, music, that's just, yeah, um, a mixture of all of the different places that I grew up in. Um, I'm wondering, out of all the places you've lived, if you have, like, a favorite city? Yeah, so this is a difficult one for me. Um, But I think, currently, I really do love Seoul. And... I think my relationship with the city has really changed and evolved over the years. And I've come to really love the city and what it has to offer. And if you had asked me maybe five or six years ago if I would pick Seoul as my favorite city, I probably would have said not at all. (laughs) I would have gone with New York or, I don't know, some other place. But yeah, I think right now in 2022, I, I, I would... Pixel is my favorite city. My current favorite, should I say. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's totally normal for things to change over time and your opinions to change over time. But I mean, like, if it's anything, spending time with you in Seoul definitely showed me sort of through your lens um, what you like and what you love about the city, right? And um, yeah, it, that's that's actually kind of, um, I don't know, it's, it's not that uh, surprising to hear, I guess, after seeing what you've, you've shown me about Seoul. Yeah, and Seoul has changed a lot over the past 10 years, I think. It's become more international, and I think... Yeah, I think it has a lot of potential to grow even further. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely hopeful for it. I think um, there's been, I think Seoul itself has put a lot of effort into improving, essentially, but also just even culturally, a lot has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know what I hear about is um, people here, like their parents go back to Korea, like to visit their family, and um, they feel incredibly out of touch because the Korea that they left. Is, is like tw- 10, 20, 30 years ago. And like, they're just like, they're basically fish out of water, which is like very, very funny. If you if you really like, I don't know, to me, I find a sort of irony with that. Mm. Yeah. But but then I think that's why for me, going back there after a very long time away from it was like, I, I guess a brand new appreciation for what souls become. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then... Um, well, to, for the next question, like, when did you first hear the term third culture kid? And when did you realize that you were one? So I thought about this question quite a lot, too, actually. And I, I actually don't know if I can say specifically, oh, this is the year that I've realized that I was a, a third culture kid. But I can say that the the first time that I was exposed to uh, the third culture experience was when I started attending the American International School in Johannesburg, because that school was filled with third culture kids. Whether or not we knew that we were familiar with the term, I'm not sure, but those kids had, yeah, moved countries every two or three years, and it was my first. It was the first time that I'd seen kids who had grown up that way, and so I think that was the first time. When, I think that that's when I was 16, when I first met other third culture kids and thought and, and realized that I wasn't alone in, yeah, in, in what I felt. And then I think it was when I got to university that I was able to uh, give it a, a neat little term, third culture mm. kid or TCK. And I mean, did you, did you hear it, like, did someone tell you the word? Did you read it somewhere? I think or? I read it in an article. And then yeah. and then I talked to my friend Ajit, <laughs> who came out in the previous episode about it. And, yeah, he also is a third culture kid himself. And so, yeah, I think that's around the time that I put everything together. And, yep, there it was. Oh, wow, I'm a third culture kid. Hmm. I, re- I remember specifically, I learned about the term on an o- in an article when I was in like high school, I remember. Um, yeah, and yeah, it does contextualize a lot of, you know, your experiences, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. That's, it's like, that's pretty, like a lot, quite a bit later in life too. <laughs> like if I realize that there's a term that can kind of coin your experiences. Yeah, and what I'm learning now uh, through this project is that there were some schools, some international schools, where 
around the time you get to middle school, they sit you down and explain to you that you're a third culture kid. So it was like a part of the curriculum almost, where yeah, the the school made an effort to uh, give you the resources to sort of work your way through this very difficult thing that's your identity. And I kind of wish I'd had something similar uh, at my school. But yeah, I, I guess for me, I had to figure it out on my own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad they, they have the resources now. I'm glad that they're thinking about that. Um, like, it has a bigger impact than you think. And so it's good to hear. It's good to hear that schools are looking into it. I mean, I mean, in that way, like, what do you think is like the hardest thing about being like a third culture kid? I think for me, the hardest thing is being so far away from the people that I love. So right now I live in Korea, which means I'm close to family. But with you living all the way in Canada, uh, I'm yeah very, very removed from many of the things that you are going through. And yeah, it's the same for a lot of my friends. And yeah, I've, I've met some really great people throughout my life, moving from country to country. And I think the hardest thing about having had that experience is that I, I can't see all of my friends as often as I like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, what do you think is like the best thing about being a third culture kid? Right. So on the flip side, uh, a great thing about being a third culture kid is the fact that you know people in so many different parts of the world. And mm -hmm. yeah, and knowing that you can pretty much live anywhere and that, yeah. yeah, I have confidence that I'll be able to live anywhere in the world pretty much. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's something that I love. Oh, and in addition to that, being able to speak many languages and being able to interact and sort of uh, relate to a lot of different people from various backgrounds, I think that's mm -hmm. a huge plus. Living in the kind of uh, globalized world that we live in now. Yeah, I mean, like, you're taking basically full advantage of, like, your background as a resource, right? Exactly. I think, yeah, I, I think it, I think... I mean, I was talking about talking about this with someone who who is basically also a third culture kid. She also grew up all over the world, and I think our conclusion is that you know I think everyone should travel at least a little bit. <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, just to even like contextualize you, like where you live in terms of like the world. I think it helps to like travel and and like see it yourself. Yeah, it, it expands think. your your views, and mm -hmm. I think it. It opens you up to so many possibilities. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I think the the way you're describing it, like you you have it, you you had it, maybe not by choice as a kid, but you know now it's like something you can you can use. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, you know, being all over the place, is there has there ever is there a place that's particularly like specifically home to you? So I think right now, I would say that Korea is my home. Mm -hmm. But if I think back on my childhood and my childhood home, that would have to be South Africa. Okay. Yeah. And despite the fact that I haven't been back in so long, whenever I think back on South Africa, 
it's yeah, it's filled with the fondest memories and yeah, so I, I think I have two homes pretty much. My childhood home, which is Johannesburg, South Africa, and then yeah, and then into my adulthood, Korea's become my home. Ah, okay. That's like that's interesting that you you can say like childhood home. I guess when someone says home, I I always think about like at the moment. Mm. Like it's like where where are you comfort like where are you comfortable and feel safe. Um, but it's interesting that you you brought up I guess um, like you in the past and then you in the present as like different places to have a home. And, and, and to me, that sounds like home is also just very transient for you. It is in some ways. Um, but I think, yeah, the reason why I bring up South Africa is because, yeah, I, I, we grew up there and I lived there for 10 years. And during that time, it was very much my home. It was my entire world. And because I was a kid, I never really thought about, you know, the possibility of leaving home all of a sudden. I was just like a pure, innocent kid. And... I think that has something to do with it. And I think if I were to go back now, sure, the the city has probably changed. And in many ways I've changed. But I think I think it'll it'll still hold a very special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's like that's so nice. <laughs> yeah. We should go back. <laughs> oh, we need to go back. We need we need a like a trip. Just down memory lane, essentially. It'll be very, very strange, and I'm probably gonna, it's probably going to be very surreal. Yeah, it'd be, it'll be so emotional and nostalgic, but also wonderful. And yeah, I, I think it'll just like fill my heart up. But, you know, be um be very cool. <laughs> but yeah, that's like the end of uh, the questionnaire. Right. Uh, I don't know if I like, I don't know if I like have too many i don't think i have any follow-up questions i think i just kind of worked them in as i was talking to you yeah that's fine and yeah this was great just having to answer the questions as though i were the the interviewee because i realized that some of these questions are really tough i i thought i thought these were simple when i was compiling it but like some of them are deeply personal and like almost like Almost a little bit like therapy questions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so yeah, it, it, ha- it has been therapeutic for me as well. And mm-hmm. I think the hardest question to answer was the one about uh, which place informs your taste in the arts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think that's that's always changing. Yeah, I think it's always changing. And also, like, I think sometimes your background can have a very like front forward influence on your choices but i also think it can sometimes take a backseat and you can be influenced let's say by the people you're hanging out with right but exactly you you never really know until you look back on it there's some things that you just you don't realize until much later that you go oh you know i do think my decisions on that like um yeah like just some choices you make were influenced by by your background Right. So, for example, you being in Korea for nine months mm-hmm. uh, exposed me to a lot of new music. Oh, did it? <laughs> you brought with you a slice of your life and your influences. And thanks to you, I got to know these new bands that I've come to love. Yeah. yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, in terms of books as well, um, before I started living in Korea, because my Korean wasn't uh, at the level that it is right now, I would never have picked up a Korean book to read. Not a novel, anyway. But living here, I've come to love Korean authors, and living here has made me uh, more open to reading books in Korean. So it really depends. That's why I, th I think it's such a loaded question. And I'm sorry, guests, for putting me through <laughs> these questions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it makes the questions interesting and complex, right? Yeah, well, I mean, thanks, thanks for uh, interviewing me today. Yeah, no, no problem. It was a pleasure. Yeah, and I think uh, at some point I'd like to interview you as well and ask you the same set of questions. Yeah, that'd be, it would be my pleasure. Yeah, I'd be very interested to hear what your favorite city is and where home is for you. Just because I think, yeah, we, we haven't really had the chance to live in the same country for the past decade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so... No, it's true. Yeah. So I have a feeling your, your answers might be a little bit different to mine. They probably are. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, to to wrap up, um, what was it like interviewing me? And uh, any last thoughts about the project in general? Okay. Uh, what was it like interviewing you? Um, I'm pretty easygoing, I guess. Um, I just, I I think there there's, there was like a pretty natural flow to everything. Um. I mean, you're not not you're not somebody who's gonna give me two word answers and then be silent. So I mean, it was it was pretty pretty straightforward in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. There's not really much more I can say about that. I I feel like I don't know. I, the, the, I I guess I'm taking a lot of your answers at face value. Like I'm not really being. I'm neither surprised nor like um under like underwhelmed by anything. It's more like I'm just kind of absorbing what you're saying. Um, maybe okay. later, maybe at a later point, I'll be like, "Oh, huh, that wasn't that was an interesting point." But I suppose for now, maybe it's because I, I've known you for so long. But who knows? Yeah, this is true. I'm sure I've touched upon uh, a lot of these topics before, and just in casual conversation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a it was nice interviewing you, um, and like seeing what what you could say. It's funny because I think because you made the questions, you had a lot of time to think about the answers. And I wonder what I uh, do. Do your interview interviewees have like access to the questions before you ask them? Yeah, of course. I send them a list of questions before the interview. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they usually have a bit um, of time. Yeah, a bit of time. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, interviewing you. Was it was it was fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah. I guess, I guess we can wrap up. I, I just I did want to say though, um, thanks to the all of my previous guests who've answered the the TCK questionnaires because I, I realize now that yeah some of these questions are quite personal and sometimes it's not that easy to put into words how you feel about some of these questions. And so I appreciate yeah all the feedback you've given me and yeah and I look forward to interviewing many more third culture kids in the weeks ahead. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Be pretty exciting okay well i hope you have a good day mm -hmm. i hope you have a good evening <laughs> and uh to our listeners 
Thank you for listening. Uh, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Bye.